Hey, y'all, and welcome back to the Rabbit Hole Show. As always, uh, we all have a story. We all have struggles, and the good news is we are not alone. And this week, we got a special guest. Um, he's recent to Charlotte and um, with the Charlotte Eagles. Met him a few weeks ago at the barn uh, through a barn brother, Roger. But uh, Mike Kovacs here to share his story with us and just have a conversation about life. So welcome, Mike. Yeah, brother. Appreciate you having me on. It's an honor. Um, so yeah, as always, you don't really know a man until you know his story. Um, you know, a lot of times it's, what do you do? Who are you? But, yeah. uh, you know, that's when we get into comparing ourselves, at least sure. me to sure. another man. Um, and you don't really know the man or woman until you know their journey and kind of where they've walked. So, um, I'm gonna let you just share your story. It's similar to my story, but different. Um, and, um, and then we'll talk, you know, about life and kind of what you're doing now. Because uh, yeah, it's different from what you expected, as you'll share. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, no, everybody's everybody's story has a little bit of a a different flavor to it. Mine and yours are more similar than maybe some other people's yes. than, than mine to anybody else that I've met. Yours mm-hmm. and yours and mine are similar, but yeah, I hope that it's some level of an encouragement to whoever's listening, and um, for the people that don't have our sort of journey and, and story, I hope that those people can realize that their their story is not less valuable, just different. Because we all have a story, whether it's you drop a bag of groceries or you, you know, die from an overdose. Uh, no story <laughs> is um, greater or less than, uh, it's just different. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess I'll start in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> Start in the beginning. Um, I was born in Baltimore, Maryland to two fantastic parents. I have a younger brother who's amazing and for all intents and purposes grew up in a a great a great home with parents that love me, with family that love me, with extended family that were all close by and um just loved each other really well. Spent holidays together and that was great. Um I don't you know, when people hear, and when I share the rest of my story, uh, a lot of people can identify these places of like, these were big traumas or big reasons that I did this thing or had this thing happen to me. I didn't really have those things. Like I had, a, I had a really good life. I have had a really good life. I continue mm. to have a really great life. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's like, you know, middle-class, maybe upper middle-class family in a good area with good public schools and all things. So like grew up, Grew up with a great upbringing, uh, love, love my parents to death and love the way that they raised me. They just, you know, drew a little bit of a short straw with me being a little wily. <laughs> Same here. Yeah. Um, so, um, so I always grew up a soccer player. I, I, I played a lot of different sports Ended up soccer ended up being the one that stuck, um, ended up playing it in college and we'll, and we'll get to that. But, um, sports, sports were really the only thing that uh, for a lot of kids from me, it was no different. Sports were the only thing that really mattered too much. Uh, the dream like every kid has is to be a professional athlete. And we started going down, you know, we started going down that path and seeing what it would look like. And I was, uh, I mean, I was really, I was a successful soccer player. Uh, when I had gotten to my junior year of high school, I was on, you know, there's different levels of club soccer at the mm-hmm. time. It was called Academy was the top level. I was on the number one academy team in the nation and was really successful on that team. And so um, all the big college offers and things like that start coming in. And so um, I had grown up going to Catholic church. Um, I think that both of my grandparents, sets of grandparents were Catholic. I know that my father's side, very Catholic, (laughs) made him go to Catholic school his whole (laughs) life. Um, So I'd say that as I grew up, I had some level of head knowledge of Christianity, um, but certainly no like real pursuit of Mm -hmm. Christianity. Even when I was, you know, even early in high school when I was vehemently against, you know, anybody who drinks or does drugs, it's Mm -hmm. like I viewed them as lesser, but it wasn't from like a Christian standpoint. Mm -hmm. It was like, I was like, well, you just, you're just like a bum then. Yeah. And I'm going to be this elite athlete. And like, that's why I don't do these things. Cause mm-hmm. like, I'm going to be 
better than everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, the way that Catholic mass works, they're sort of, I don't know, way of going through things is once you're in like eighth or ninth grade, you go through something called confirmation. Mm-hmm. Just, I don't know. Uh, essentially their version of being like, you're an adult in the church now. <laughs> and when that happened coincided with my move to that club team mm-hmm. And we just sort of stopped going to church. Like we, it wouldn't be uncommon for me to have to travel six or eight hours to just a game on a weekend. And so your Sundays are knocked out. And my family was always very supportive of the soccer ventures. But as I went through the pursuit of high level athletics, the, the pursuit of church really stopped, Mm -hmm. (laughs) really went away. Um, and I don't know, I, I don't, I don't fault my parents and I don't look back and think like, God, we really should have been still going to mass then because <laughs> they were doing the best they knew how and they went with what, you know, their parents brought them up with. And the reality is I probably wouldn't have, probably wouldn't have gained a whole lot more mm-hmm. staying in Catholic church and, and sticking with just the, hey, these are the traditions and you do this to achieve good Christianity. So, um, yeah, anyway, so the, the pursuit of the pursuit of soccer is everything. Family is really good. Um but as you start having a lot of success, you start thinking more and more that you're just like an indestructible piece of like, like a fine masterpiece. That's a gift to the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm this great high level soccer player. I crush it in high school. I've got, you know, a lot of friends, whatever. I don't really care about popularity, but when you're a high level athlete, you know, you get comes that, with it, yeah, it comes with that sort of a thing. And you know, got friends on different athletics teams and whatever. And so things are all, things are all good. Um, and then I had a buddy just who was, who was on the soccer team who had worked his way up through and started spending more time with him. And, and he was, uh, you know, he was somebody that just, he liked smoking pot and he liked doing whatever else. And I spent a lot of, a lot of time with him and all my friends on the team. And, and for the longest time, he just, you know, he'd be like, Hey, do you want to smoke? And I'd be like, no, nah, I'm good. He'd be like, all right, whatever. It's like, I was never, that's another thing that was crazy about the whole, like, when did drugs start was Mm -hmm. I didn't have somebody like peer pressure me into it. I was always, it was, I always knew it was available. Um, I think at most any public school, it's probably private school. I mean, even I went to Covenant Day and no knock to Covenant Day. I love it, but I mean, drugs are everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think that, uh, yeah, it was always, it was always around being available and it was just never really appealing. Um. I couldn't tell you what the, what the reason was. Again, there was no big thing that happened to make me for the first time be like, yeah, all right, I'll smoke with you. Just one day I just decided to, <laughs> like, whatever, one day I will. Was he a, um, was he a pretty good athlete as well? He was a, he was a goalkeeper. So he was a, I mean, he was a very good goalkeeper, very good athlete in that respect. He wasn't too worried about lung capacity. I was going to say like, <laughs> you know, maybe his success and seeing him smoking and not peer pressure and you made it easier for you just to be like, well, I'll try it. I don't know. That's just yeah, I don't, popped into my head. I don't know. I don't know. I think that I've always, I've always just loved having good relationship and friendship with people. And, um, you know, at some point I just thought, you know, whatever, if it's something that like, I'm not going to, I know I'm not going to die. Like, yeah, I'm going to be good. Weed's not going to kill you. Right. So, um, I'm like, well, I'll try it. And if I like it, what I will address what that looks like if I like it. And if I don't like it, I tried it. I tried it and I won't do it again. And I've always been an experiential learner. <laughs> Same here. I think, I think that's why our stories are similar, kind of. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> school was always difficult. Um, I've had, I probably have some level of ADHD. I don't know. School was always difficult to some extent. And even, uh, you know, I worked, I worked a lot of like construction and home improvements with my father later in, in high school. And even him giving me very simple, like, tasks and commands to do it's like i wouldn't really register or understand that thing or get that well until i messed it up and like went and did it yeah because once you mess it up you you know then they either show you or tell you here's how you need to do it and once you see it it's like oh yeah that's how we do it yeah or at least that's for me you know? yeah no for sure <laughs> for sure so um yeah i think that throughout my um all of my childhood years moving up to high school I think that I developed a good or bad uh, ability to just lie really successfully and manipulate situations really successfully. Part of that might 
come with being an older brother and always putting stuff on your younger brother. <laughs> throwing I got him. a younger sister, so. <laughs> throwing him under the bus uh, with different things, breaking things and making him. I remember one time we, uh, we like broke, we broke something. I broke something. We didn't break something. <laughs> I broke something. And like neither of us would fess up to my father who did it. And we are sitting in two chairs, staring at each other in our dining room for hours. And my dad's saying, one of you is going to fess up to doing this. And I'm looking at my brother and I'm going, you need to tell him you did it. (laughs) He's like, but I didn't do it. I'm like, I know, but I'm not telling him I did it. (laughs) (laughs) You're the older sibling. The younger one's got to take the rap. Yeah. Like I'm, I will sit here until we die. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not fessing up to it. Eventually he fessed up something he did. It's like who's going to cave first? I know. I know. And so you build up little things that seem little like that, that are, that are character flaws. Um, you know, you build things up like that. And then as you start getting into, you know, drinking and doing drugs, and that's just what your, your scene is as you get older in high school and what a lot of people do. And so you, you fall into those things to some extent. I mean, I had my, I had my parents believing at some point that I was like the, essentially that I, I, I would have them have enough level of trust in me that, um, I would tell them like, Hey, I'm going to like a party. There's going to be drinking and drugs there, but I'm going to take care of all my people. Like I'm going to not do anything and I'm going to take care of my people. (laughs) And they'd be like, that's very good. Like, that's great of you. That's great. You do that. Come bring everybody back to our house because it can be like a safe sanctuary. So again, (laughs) the most like loving parents ever. Mine are the same way. So they sound Similar, very similar upbringing. I know, you know, I know. Just a level, maybe a level of being slightly naive. <laughs> slightly naive. And just maybe even, yeah, naive and just like my kid wouldn't do that. Well, and they're right? also, it's just, it's part of their story as well. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're high school sweethearts that met when they were working at some fast food place. And they remember when they were up going to high school and dating forever that they would go to parties and they, they still don't drink. They never mm-hmm. like drank. And so they would go to parties and like fill up cups with water and pretend like they were drinking or whatever, just to be around people. So they, I think that you, you want to see in your children things that are relevant to your story. Yeah. And so for them, it's like, Hey, we, we didn't do that. We don't like drinking and our sons aren't going to like drinking either. And (laughs) that'll be, that'd be great of them. Um, God bless them, man. God bless them. Um, so yeah, I've, I've got a very, I think with being competitive and being a high level athlete, it's really easy to have a, an addictive personality. And that's just how it, I think that's just how it played out for me as I, I smoked for the first time and it was, um, it's just fun. It's like, I can't, when I, when I tell people my story and I tell especially high school kids my story and try to keep them away from doing certain things, I, I don't lie to them and say like, smoking's not fun. It's like, I had a great time. When I was, I mean, everybody's experience is different with that. But for me, it was like, this was a very fun thing that I would say, okay, like I can frequent this on, you know, on the weekends or whatever and hang out go hang out with some buddies and smoke. And that's no big deal. And the soccer didn't seem to be having some sort of drop off. And so I was like, it's no, as long as I keep training hard, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't realize that it started becoming more of a problem, but once it hit my like junior, senior year of high school, where all of a sudden I'm like leaving school midday to go smoke. Or it's like you had like an edible midday Mm -hmm. or something. It's like. For me, it was waking up and having to smoke before I left the house to go do whatever I had to do, work or school or. Yeah. Yeah. Once it turned from, from a once a weekend fun to a in the week as well fun to a this is in the middle of my day and I'm around people. And this is still part of what I'm doing. I couldn't register, like couldn't see that that was maybe going down a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of because of that and going down that and enjoying that, you know, when if one drug is good, more drugs are better. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I should try whatever else. You put it in front of me, I'll try that thing. <laughs> it's I'm down for friendship. I want to be a big. I want to be a big friendship guy. Yeah, and, and make sure that you know that I'm loved, that I'm not judgmental, that, and again, because I'm indestructible, I'll just try whatever I want to try. Yeah. So 
I, at some point was in, you know, as you start going down that path, you start finding yourself in weirder and weirder places, like even just physically in weirder places. It's like, I am at a buddy of a buddy of a buddy's house. Like, I don't know this freaking guy. <laughs> yeah. Why am I here? Or a trap house. Yeah. Why is anybody here? <laughs> or a parking garage stair well at five, six a.m. Right. on a you know Wednesday morning. Yeah. Why did I? How did I end up sleeping in my car? I'm not sure. Where is my car right now? I don't know. Thank <laughs> goodness for phones and GPSs, but yeah, like, I don't have a freaking clue where I am. When I've woken up in a bathtub of a friend's parents' house, naked with the bathtub full before, and was like, "How did I get here?" Yeah. Yeah, and you just. You wake up, clean off. Put no one really saw you, and kind of put some eye drops in, and shuffle out the (laughs) shuffle out the door, and on your day, and I don't know what kids crappy cologne they spray on themselves in high school. (laughs) It used to be Axe. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know now. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, going your way. So yeah, it was just there was one night where I just found myself in one of those weirder spots. It was some person's house, and just started, um just having people just offer different stuff up in front of me it ended up being just a night where i ended up taking a bunch of painkillers because i was like what i already smoked i was already high i was like well, i don't i haven't i haven't comboed these things before let's try comboing these things mm-hmm. and um you know i couldn't tell you how much i took but enough to enough to kill me so i overdosed on oxys and like could feel myself starting to have like an overdose i could feel myself starting to be like my body be attacked essentially Mm -hmm. and ended up just like blacking out because i you know it it just it felt like all my bones were like breaking i just felt like very brittle and like just Mm -hmm. ended up blacking out because i was in so much pain or at least my brain had told me that i was in so much pain just shutting down yeah the body's just shutting down because you threw so much poison into it or you know so I wake up in this person's bed and there's like these people around me that are crying and freaking out and all this stuff. And I wake up and I'm, I'm feeling like a million bucks. I feel good. Mm-hmm. And this girl like sees me wake up and freaks out and she's like, you're alive. It's like, obviously. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> obviously I'm alive. Of course I'm alive. And she's like, you were dead. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you were dead. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I wasn't breathing. She was like, you had no pulse. You weren't breathing. Like, you were downstairs for minutes, like, not breathing. We carried you up here to the bed, not breathing, no heartbeat, no anything. You were dead. How are you breathing? How are you alive? And I'm like, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> what, what are you saying? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't. I didn't have any, there was no like medical intervention mm-hmm. or something that happened there. It's like, you're at a house where everybody's doing drugs. Like it ended up being a house that's like, a, it's a dealer's house. He's got ounces upon ounces, you know, probably pounds of like, they're not going to call the cops. The cops. It's going to be raided if they come. Exactly. And then everybody's screwed. Yep. And so they're probably, I don't know, you think dumb things when you're high. They're, they're probably more along the lines of like, where do we put him and hide him? And yeah. and when you're panicking, you don't think right as well on yeah. top of being high and drunk or whatever, yeah. like a lot of bad decisions. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wake up from that and I walk out and I go back to my house and I sleep in my bed. I sleep like a baby and I wake up the next morning and I go, what the heck just happened? And you're a junior, senior in high school. Yeah. But this, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, what in the world just happened? <laughs> what was that? Yeah. Um, that started the sort of journey of like actual faith and actual Christianity was just even thinking through how is that possible? Mm-hmm. Why in the world would that have happened i knew the how the how happened because i'm an idiot <laughs> it's like yeah but how how in the world am i walking around right now and just okay and i will give my parents a ton of credit for bringing me to church enough to start having those sorts of questions of is there a higher power is jesus really real mm-hmm. and why would i be the person that is brought back from actual death without Mm. any medical intervention um so as this is going on i'm in my 
college recruitment process. And I've got these offers from some big schools, which are which are great. Um, I've always said that I wanted to play professionally, and so that's the route that I'm thinking I'm going to go. You know, scholarships to different Division One schools, whatever. I have an old uh, club coach of mine, an old mentor, who's one of the only people that's like an authority figure at this time in my life that I respect in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, I didn't he, respect any authorities, really. Yeah. yeah. And he's not even a current coach of mine. He's just a past coach of mm-hmm. mine. And he tells me, he's like, hey, uh, I need you to look into some Division two and Division three schools. And I was like, no. <laughs> Why well, have all these that D one offers? That's the worst thing you've ever asked me to do. <laughs> Dumbest advice ever. And I just t- eventually because it's it's him and because I love him and respect him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I was an angry even before I got into like drugs and doing and crapping in high school. I was like a pretty bad kid in like middle school and early high school too. I'd like break into cars and stuff. Mm. Just, but like, again, just for like fun and friendship, I wouldn't even like keep and sell the things. I like break into a car, take the things and like just put it a block down the road. (laughs) Just You did it and that's what the group was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So in, in that time when I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty angry kid for no real reason, doing some bad stuff for no real reason. He was the one that could kind of get through to me and, and, you know, soccer was always the sanctuary and he was Mm -hmm. the one leading the charge then. And so anyway, I look up the national champions of division two and division three and do research on those schools for him. And I look up those two schools cause I just automatically assume uh, surely I'm good enough to play at whatever division two and division three school. Because if I can play at a, this division one school, if Syracuse has offered me a scholarship, if whatever these top 15 division one schools are offering me scholarships, of course I can play at whatever D two and D three, D three. Yeah. D two, D three national champs, whatever. So the D two national champs are uh like cal state dominguez hills mm-hmm. and i was like maybe not <laughs> uh looking at like the campus breakdown and everything and i'm like uh, i'm not positive the demographics fit me perfectly <laughs> uh might be a little out of place there and that kind of scared me <laughs> so, did you want to enjoy your college experience yeah i want to enjoy my college experience and the division three national champions are messiah college Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Messiah means Jesus, means Christian school. One, had no idea that Christians were any good at anything, like <laughs> sport-wise. No idea. <laughs> Two, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. No chance. <laughs> um, and then I just look it up and, re- and realize Messiah's like an hour and a half from where I grew up and where my house was. And so sort of just to like appease my mentor, mm-hmm. my old coach, I'm like, I'll go on a visit there. And like for you, I'll go on a visit there, whatever. And I'm going to end up going to one of these division one schools, but I'm going to please you. Yeah. I'm going to please you. I'm going to go there. And I get on campus and it's just wildly different from anything else I'd experienced. Just, it is a, like you ever step into somewhere and you're just like the atmosphere in this place is different. Mm-hmm. I was stepped foot on that campus and I was like, it is weird here in a way that I can't explain and was just met with all sorts of love and kindness from strangers and people and whatever. And, um, through just a day of visiting and talking to the coach and all these different things. And I'm not even recruited there. So I'm, there's a piece of me that I'm like, I'm jaded and I'm pissed because they haven't even recruited me. I'm like, how could you not know who I am? Yeah. I had like no <laughs> idea who I was. I no freaking clue. <laughs> um, I left that campus with my dad i looked at him i was like i have to go to this weird jesus school and he's like really (laughs) he was shocked (laughs) really like yes um my parents didn't know about any of like the drug things or anything so no one really knew except the people in that house yeah who are people that i um, immediately excommunicated myself from afterward oh it's just like i'm changing (laughs) which is smart yeah yeah i've um but like i my parents didn't find out uh, like anything about anything until a few years after i graduated graduated college so yeah it was interesting for me listening to to your story with your parents who yeah. were like who were in it the whole time it was like, a roller coaster and yeah. mine were a lot of cop calls hospital visits and then you know treatment centers and and then last year the yeah. you know facing prison time and then 
waking up off life support. So can't really hide that. Yeah. You know, even though I went as with the Epsilon nine, which is John Doe on the Nero IC floor, you know, you know, so maybe they wouldn't have found me, but, uh, my good friend's older sister was able to identify me and, um, get in touch with my sister. And so, yeah, mine was more, um, known, but, um, like I was having coffee with someone this morning. He goes, I didn't know, know until someone told me, um, last year when it happened. And, um, and I was like, it was, you know, I, I was like, I guess I hit it good enough. You know, yeah. I mean, there was times where, you know, it was hard to hide it, but, um, so there's good and bad to our yeah. stories. Yeah. The, the sneaky routes always, I mean, it's dangerous, man. And mm-hmm. that's, that's any level of anything that you're dealing with is when things are brought to light and there's people around you right away and know what's going on to some extent, it's, it's always some level of a lifeline. It always makes it more difficult to, you know, in ways to keep doing those, keep doing those things. But I'm like, nobody, like it's not like I was, I wasn't even doing drugs with like a large portion of my high school soccer team. I was doing them with one guy, yeah, you know, and with a random group of people that I didn't associate with when I wasn't doing whatever. So yeah, yeah, when that when that all happened, it, when when I sort of cut that that tie with everything, life largely went back to normal. <laughs> yeah, and see, mine was a roller coaster for nine, ten years, and um, real quick, my dad. I was talking to him earlier this week, and you know, I had there had been so many different events that had happened, you know, that would have been wake up calls for most people, but just from some reason for me, it just wasn't large enough, catastrophic enough, um, and. He was like, your mom took the photo of you on life support. Hopefully that would be enough and a visual for you to be like, here's the state you were in, you know, cause someone can yeah. tell you like someone told you and yeah. it was hard for you to be like, did that happen? Is that, and for me, when I saw that, I was like, oh, the, I, that really did happen. It wasn't just, I was in the hospital. Like, cause I had been to the hospital before and woken up in my bed and my roommate at the time was like, um, uh, you know what happened last night? And I probably was like, man, eh, it was a good night. I bet. And he goes, look at your wrist and there'd be a hospital bracelet. And I'd be like, huh, guess I went to the hospital last night again. Then my dad was like, your mom took that as a visual for you to be like, here's how severe it was. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, we think you needed that. Yeah. Everybody's sort of level of, of rock bottom is, is different. And when you're cut from the cloth that you and I are, you, <laughs> when you're stubborn as a mule, man, it really <laughs> takes, it takes a real kick in the back of the head to, mm-hmm. to sort of wake you up and shake thankfully you. Thankfully for those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, um. So you decide, uh, dad, I want to go to this Jesus school. I know. I end up at Messiah <laughs> College, a place that I never thought that I would end up. Went from full scholarshiping to division three where they don't offer any athletic money. Um, and as I said, academics were not a high priority. And so I certainly wasn't getting academic money. Um, <laughs> and my parents had budgeted for me to be going to a, you know, a division one school or an in-state school, at least mm-hmm. not a private Christian school. Um, and so my parents look at me and they're like, Hey, we can only pay for your first year of college and the rest of it will be on you. Do you still want to go? And I was like, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I have no, I-, I had no idea at the time what that actually meant from like a financial standpoint, but I was like, yes, yes, I'm going. It's just, I had this overwhelming feeling that I had to be there and I couldn't shake it. Um, and how stoked was your, how stoked was your, uh, your club soccer coach when you said, I'm, you know, thinking I'm going to go here and then I am going here. So oddly enough, him and, um, I played with two of his sons growing up. Um, they have five boys. But they were going to church, but they weren't like really outwardly Christian at the time. So he was, he was kind of like, great. That's awesome. So it but wasn't he wasn't even religious for him. It was just right, check out these. Right. Okay. It was after, I, I don't remember what year it was um, when I was in college, but I remember coming back one year and they had found a different church and invited me to go to church with them. And they're like, they had just become so unbelievably like super great Christians that are following the Lord and really outspoken. But like, it was totally a, I mean, it was totally a, a divine intervention to have me go there because a, a guy who's like, a you know, nominal Christian at the time says, and it's not like he was like, Hey, look at this division three school. Yeah. 
Look at Division Two and Division Three schools. Your mind was like, I'm going to the best if I'm going <laughs> right. to check them out. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. So being at being at Messiah is when I actually became a Christian. Um, you know, like to say that I died for the second time, like died, you know, died to myself mm-hmm. the second time. Yeah. And it was not, again, not like an aha moment of this makes sense to me. It was, you know, you take the past experiences and then you have guys and mentors on the team that just are just loving you unconditionally and teaching you and pouring into you and leading you for no, for no reason, like other than they're like, yeah, this is right. This is how, this is how a Christian is supposed to live. Like you're supposed to impact the people around you. You're supposed to love the people around you. Like, and we don't care about, I mean, that was another thing for me is, is me telling my, my story at the time. I was like trembling and shaking when I tried to tell them the story for first. I mean, I showed up to, I showed up to Messiah and I, there was, you know, people on the team that had Philippians memorized that could play whatever worship song on the thing. And on the first like Sunday team Devo, I was asked to turn to first John and read something. And I turned to that verse in John because I didn't know there was a first John. And so I read from John and it was like, you know, for for my first week of being there, it's like, I do not belong in this place. But then when it came my, my sort of turn and time to tell my story, I thought they'd look at me like I was some sort of freak. I mean, there's guys that a lot of guys that grew up in Christian schools or grew up homeschooled and had been like good dudes their whole lives that had never slept with anybody and never mm-hmm. drank or done drugs or anything. And I'm like, I take all the bad boxes of all the things <laughs> here and tell my story. And, and the leaders on the team, the guys are really respected come over to me and they hug me and they're like, none of that matters. None of that matters. None of your value is caught up in the things that you've done at all. And it was just this complete reframing of where my value is and how I viewed myself. And there were guys that just fostered that for years and years. And mm-hmm. I think by the time, you know, I'd become a, a junior in college, I, I finally was like, you know what? I think this is, I think this is actually the purpose of why I woke up mm-hmm. is I'm supposed to do to other people what those guys gave me over the past couple years, over the past few years. Um, so the, the college experience was in, incredible. Um, my, you know, paying student loans for a bit was difficult. My parents ended up coming back and being just legends and, and paying for so much more than they had originally anticipated and, and really helped in so many big ways. And they supported that so much and they loved that, that I was there. And, um, yeah, I left, I left Messiah having this incredible, soccer experience, which was great and super fruitful and awesome. But more than anything, had had my life probably legitimately saved for a mm-hmm. second time. Because yeah. if I had gone to big state school. We might not be having this conversation. Yeah, back in the same, back in the same thing. Back in the same thing. Why not a finished college? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not so naive to believe that like I'm so strong-willed that as a freshman in college and after my experiences that I could go in and be like, yeah, no, no, this is, this is wrong. You're, you all should not be doing this thing. I'm like, you're, you're going to kind of morph to what your community is. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you're young and impressionable still. I'm like, now, great, whatever. Throw me into whatever. But like, I'm a freshman in college, man. I'm, and your brain's still developing. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely changed my life. It was incredible. And then after college, I went, uh, I majored in health and exercise science. I was going to be a strength and conditioning coach. Um, started having these great connections with different, uh, professional organizations. Um, looked like I was going down this route to probably be working with the Mets somewhere in their tiering system. Mm-hmm. Um, and right before I did that, I, for the second time, got this big sort of unshakable, overwhelming feeling, which was similar to the one that I had when it was like, Messiah is the place you're going to go. It was like, Hey, you're not supposed to do what you're doing. Um, you're going to change gears. You're supposed to get into like actual soccer coaching. And the entire time I was in college, I said that I would never get into coaching coaching because it would suck or I'd be, or I just wouldn't be good at it or I didn't have the personality for it. Um, I just didn't view it as what I would ever actually want to do 
at what point did you switch gears from wanting to play professional soccer mm. um into you know i want to do strength and conditioning or yeah. you know yeah i just as my college career went on um i started just having a ton of injuries and okay. a ton of concussions um i've had five or six concussions and partially tore my mcl before my senior year and played the whole year with a partially torn mcl and Ooh. so it's you know, it, it got to a point where I had this trial that was set up for the winter after uh, my senior year of college mm-hmm. and was really geared up for it right when the season ended. And then as it got closer and closer, it just felt like I don't need to be doing this. Like, yeah. what am I going to do? Go play in fourth. I'm going to go play in a fourth tier, you know, fourth division team in Sweden and whatever. Yeah. You know, soccer is not the most lucrative sport in the entire world. And if you're if you're chasing the dream forever, it's it's fine but it's for me i was like listen my body's my body's getting destroyed i'm not uh you know i'm i'm probably good enough to play at some level i don't know how good i actually am though so i'm like i was plenty happy to go down the strength conditioning route it was like there's Mm -hmm. a piece of you that always missed playing but i was happy to go down that route and i was excited about how that was going to go and i felt like i was still going to be involved in professional athletics at some standpoint Mm -hmm. so I was just working at a private place, you know, back home and then started getting these connections and then started going down that, down that line and was about to work with the Mets. And, and that's when I got hit with the, you're going to coaching. And so, okay. yeah, I just did a random job search of whatever, college soccer jobs Well, it's open <laughs> and, um, got an interview at the school called Connecticut college. Uh, they were just the division three national champions last year, actually. Okay. Um, I went up there with no coaching experience and no anything really and somehow miraculously got offered a job to (laughs) to be there and be coaching there and um it was really good i took a lot of licks learned a lot of things my head coach was a pretty intense guy but he taught me a ton and Mm. i respect him a ton for what he taught me but through that um through that experience i i realized dang I actually, like, I'm glad that I, uh, I ended up accepting the job there and I, uh, I'm glad that I stepped out and decided to do that and move, you know, five and a half hours away from everybody that I knew just cause I felt like I was supposed to, Yeah. but it ended up being this really fruitful thing where, you know, you start having these conversations with guys and you start bringing guys to church and you start, you know, seeing a lot of real life change. And, um, it was I think for the first time, because, you know, even in playing soccer, I won two national championships playing soccer and you don't, you know, I didn't have any level of fulfillment in winning those. It's like you win one and you're like, now what? Now what do I do? It's like what Tom Brady just said, I heard in an interview, you know, once he won two Super Bowls, he was like, is that it? Like, there's more. Yeah. What else do you do? And, you know, having guys in Connecticut, which is a largely non-Christian like space, at least where I was, Mm -hmm. you know, New England can be pretty rough. Um, with some of the people there and some of the attitudes around Christianity there. Um, but to have guys start asking you real questions about, about Jesus and about wanting to go to church again. And, you know, I'm going to stop sleeping around with different people and I'm going to start whatever was the first time that I had felt a real full, like fulfillment of this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I am supposed to be coaching. Um, after a couple years there, I moved to, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania to coach there. Um, sort of a lateral career move, but it got me back around, um, Gettysburg's like 30 minutes away from Messiah. So it's like, it got me back to some level of community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was still a young, impressionable dude. And so going up to Connecticut, spending a couple of years up there and being one of the only Christians that, you know, it's like, that's hard. Yeah. Very tough. That's hard. So a lot of good work was done, but it's very draining. Some trials. Yeah. Yeah, some trials, some setbacks, some stupid things, some great things, but... That's life. Yeah, ultimately, a lot of good work. Moved to Gettysburg um, and just amplified it. Just I said, all right, we're going to take what we're doing there and we're going to do more. We're going to start doing house churches at our house. We're going to take the guys that are uncomfortable stepping into an actual church and we're going to do house church at our house and ran it like an actual church, man. It's like you had to be like... You know, we had made sure our guys were showered before they showed up. They were dressed up all nice, get them donuts and coffee before church and all things. And Mm -hmm. we'd stream in, we'd stream in sermons and uh, do worship and would have like real intentional, deep, difficult conversation afterward. And it was like, we're doing actual church, like outside of church. So I don't know, man. Because it doesn't have to be in the four walls of a church building. 
No, it can be in your house. Uh, yeah. Where two or more are gathered. Yeah, where two or more are gathered in my name. So that's what it was. It was doing it was doing church and um Messiah Soccer has this retreat that they do every year where like forty guys get together every year. Alumni get together mm-hmm. um and just spend time together for a few days and love on each other. And one of the guys that helped bring me to the Lord when I was at Messiah, I see him at the retreat years after and as i'm like in the coaching world he like puts his hands on my shoulders he's like you are going to be an evangelist and i'm like i'm not positive i know what that means (laughs) (laughs) but okay (laughs) um but it was the first time that and the only time that i had somebody like really prophesy over my life and say like you are going to do this like the lord told me you were going to do this and i was like all right man if you say so like i don't really know but like if you say so and as i stepped into that more and more that's where i started seeing more and more just fulfillment mm-hmm. um but so as my coaching career went on we're doing all this great work all this evangelism's happening this discipleship's happening it's great but i start and i think it, you know every everybody does it's it like what happens when things are good like what what are the demons that creep in when your life is like really good and when you're really successful uh and for me it just became a a story of it's like it's the Mike show it's about it's about me it's about everything it's about advancing my career in coaching like it became less about players more about what is my next step mm-hmm. and i was like the next step is for me to be a head coach at a you know at some college cuz i'd been an assistant coach for these different times i'm like it's time for me to be a head coach I've gotten, I've got five whole years of experience. I'm as experienced as it gets. I need to be a head coach. Um, I interview at this school in Ohio, their division two school. They offer me the job to be their head coach. I'm like, all right, great. That's what I'm doing. And in that summer, I had one week free out of the entire summer. Out of a 12 week summer, I had 11 weeks busy with work and one week free. And I used that week to come down and visit friends here in Charlotte that I played with at Messiah. Um, and in that week, I leave with, um, they're working for the Charlotte Eagles at the time. Both of them are working with Charlotte Eagles at the time. I leave that week with a job offer to coach with the Charlotte Eagles. And I meet this girl that I'm like obsessed with <laughs> that I'm just enamored by. As soon as I meet her, I'm like, I need to marry that girl. <laughs> but I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm walking away from Charlotte at the end of the week thinking and believing I'm still going to go to Ohio and take this job. Yeah, because that's what you've wanted. Yeah, this is Mike show. Yeah, this is the next logical step mm-hmm. is for me to go to Ohio and take this job. And on my like, I don't know, seven or eight hour drive back home, I get that stupid and overwhelming feeling again where it's like, okay, no, you're going to go to Charlotte. You're going to work for the Charlotte Eagles. And I'm like, the Charlotte Eagles are a ministry. I'm not going to work for a ministry. I'm <laughs> like, and now I'm like, I'm yelling at God in my car. I'm like, I didn't even want to get into coaching in the first place. <laughs> I told you I didn't even want this. <laughs> like, I'm like, I, then I said, I'm not getting into ministry. Like, I don't want to go work for the Charlotte Eagles. <laughs> and I get back home and I walk in the door and I see my roommate. And I'm like, I'm going to go work in Charlotte. <laughs> At the, you know, my stipulation was, okay, I've got one last season with Gettysburg that I told him I was going to do. And then I'm going to go, I'm going to go work for Charlotte. And so I'm like, whatever. Really great, really great last season in Gettysburg. I still have guys from that team that I am in regular communication with. Mm -hmm. Um, My head coach there was phenomenal. I mean, just a really positive experience. Really great place. Um, But season ends, time comes. December of 2019, I moved down to Charlotte to work with the Charlotte Eagles. Like, okay, let's go. So um, I moved down here in December 2019. And then like three months later, COVID hits. And so everything, all the recruiting, whatever for, for the Eagles and getting stuff ready. So the Eagles, you know, for me, for the USL2 team, the semi-professional team that the Eagles run now, um, the season runs from May to July when college kids are out of school. Mm-hmm. So it's an elite level program for elite athletes, the best of the best in college that want to come play in their college uh, in their summer months and still maintain college eligibility. They can come play for us and, you know, various teams like that. Um, All that gets shut down because of COVID. Uh, But because we're a ministry and we're nonprofit and everything that we, like the whole program and all of our salaries for everybody on the Eagles has to be fundraised. 
So it's all gifted. It's mm-hmm. not like, you know, there's not like, oh, here's this, you know, there's a club side that revenue, you know, that generates some level of revenue, but it's like USL2 doesn't generate any revenue. And so it's not like in the college world where, all right, your tuition dollars from students are going to pay your salary. It's mm-hmm. like you get paid out of what gifts that people give you. And when COVID hits, all of college, everything shuts down. USL2 shuts down too and whatever. And so we don't have a season, but like there's people back at Gettysburg and all over the country that are, they're getting furloughed. You know, they're losing their jobs because schools can't pay for them because tuition dollars aren't coming in Mm because they're trying to do stuff online and they're trying to figure stuff out. And so it was like a huge protection of the Lord where I'm like, my donors kept donating. (laughs) And so throughout the entire pandemic, I wasn't, you know, I can still, I can still pay bills. I can Mm -hmm. still buy groceries. I can still do the ministry. Like, and the ministry looks different because I'm not doing as much in person, but like I can still spend all of my hours doing ministry because the people were donating. So um that's a huge blessing that's great like i said i get down here the end of 2019 that girl that i meet um we start dating three months after i show up and um mary and so we start dating in february 2020 so very quickly after i show up february 2020 we start dating we're engaged may of 2020 so that was what was that another 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 three months or something yeah and then we're married august of 2020 hey you said you wanted to marry her week one so i you didn't waste no time yeah i knew who she was like as a human being i knew about her existence in like june of 2019 and then i didn't get to actually spend time with her until december of 2019 had y'all been in communication when you very were loosely or, okay very loosely love at first sight doesn't mean that both people have love at first sight <laughs> no like i was i was fully bought in she was like ah I don't know. You're a little bit shorter. You're a redhead. It's not really my style. <laughs> it's like, but yeah, we end up, we end up getting married in August of 2020. And it was just, I, I think it was more and more of the Lord blessing, just faithfulness to step out and do what he said, mm-hmm. what he said to do. I told you to move to Connecticut and coach. Great. Here's this great fruit that comes from that. And it's really life-giving thing. I told you to get back to Pennsylvania around your people. That's great. Your ministry gets amplified in Pennsylvania. I told you to move to Charlotte. Hey, the whole world shut down and you still got taken care of. And also, here's the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with down in Charlotte. I'm like, all right. <laughs> okay, great. All right. Um, you know, so this, the story is still, the story is still ongoing. The story is still unfolding. Um, you know, the, the last seasons with, USL too, and that team have been amazing. We've had men come to the Lord. We've had guys get baptized right after the season. We've had, you know, guys really rid themselves of the shackles of like anxiety and depression. Um, you know, guys have had their lives totally changed. The ministry is it it happens and it works. And even for if somebody's if somebody's listening that is not a Christian, it's like we still have guys that are like the life change is well, positive. Like mm-hmm. they don't need to be a Christian to play for us. Mm-mm. Like we want them to become Christians because we believe that'll be the most fulfilling thing for their life. And it'll be the best thing for their life. And we're called to create more disciples, but even our non-Christian guys are having their lives be changed. Like, so better. Planted, yeah. At least. And what, well, you know, you still want to have better men and mm-hmm. brothers and better future husbands and just better members of society. Um, we need them. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with now today's world, the way it's 2022. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you look at, I mean, you look at the guys in the college space and we have some guys that are post-grad, but you look largely at colleges now as a whole and men are being told not to be men. They're told not to be leaders. Mm-hmm. They're told, you know, to be, you know, a twisted version of, of tolerant and to just fall in line. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't believe that anybody can, can be somebody that impacts the world positively if they just fall in line. No, you can't. And, and if they're if they're refusing to, they're refusing to to be a man and lead. Like, how can you do that in a really productive and positive way? It's like you know, we want to teach our guys to be able to do that. We want to change their lives and have them do that. So that's been great. The Lord has had His hand all over that ministry, and it's been fantastic. Um, the continued, you know, the new challenge in life now, and and we speak about this, we speak about this openly, and we're we're happy to share, and we hope that it's you know, that our journey is always encouraging to somebody, but like 
you know, me and Mary had a miscarriage in June. And mm. can you still have that level of bold faithfulness? You know, if I'm going to talk about being somebody that can be faithful, like, can I be faithful when it's not just the thing that perfectly aligns or is like in the same lane as what I've already yeah. loved and known? It's like, Hard. It's like, hey, I want you to go to Connecticut, but you're still in athletics. Like, I want you to go down to Charlotte, but you're still coaching soccer. Like, those are big changes. They were wild, big changes, mm -hmm. but they were still kind of like in my lane. Yep. It's like, can you have something traumatic happen and really difficult and really hard happen? And can you still know that the Lord is good? And can you still have the faithfulness? Can you still worship? Can you still pray? Like, can you still do those things consistently and have the faithfulness and know that like, that there's a purpose mm -hmm. behind whatever your thing is? I mean, we'd like to believe that our, our journey and our story, like mine and Mary's that, you know, through having a miscarriage, we've, we've become closer than we ever could have. I've got a deeper level of love and respect for my wife than I ever could have before that, you know, and can we use our journey and our story to save somebody else's marriage in the future? Mm -hmm. like, that can be something that I could absolutely see how that destroys, how that destroys a marriage or a family and mm -hmm. just pulls people apart from each other. Um, so it's hard, but like you said, you know, you'll be able to pour into others who have gone through a miscarriage. Yeah. Um, cause you know, people, not everyone goes through that. And you know, how do you comfort and pour into those people when you have an experience that's easier to comfort and be there for, um, someone who is going through something that you've gone through yeah because you can relate and they understand that yeah so it makes it easier for that person to receive that yeah yeah everybody's got their sort of giftings and everybody's got their tool that helps them affect change for people like me and you and now for me and mary like your testimony can be your best weapon mm -hmm. your best tool to really change somebody's life and you don't know what level of, I mean, you don't know what level of impact one conversation with somebody can have. Yeah. I had a, I had a coach tell me to look at some schools and now I'm in Charlotte. I wouldn't yeah. have met you if you had gone to <laughs> Syracuse or whatever other D1 schools. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, not everyone has our journey and our story and everything looks a little bit different, but it's like, he never thought that one little thing would have led to, to what it did. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you don't need to have the, you don't need to have the crazy journey that you and I have had. Hopefully you don't want it. Hopefully you don't have, <laughs> hopefully you don't have the journey. That yeah. Um, learn from our experience and our talk. Yeah. Um, how can people get plugged into the Charlotte Eagles help, um, you know, fund uh, the mission, the ministry, um, talk a little bit more about that side of the Eagles um, for yeah. our listeners. Yeah. So what I do is only one small piece of what the Eagles do. Um, you know, the Eagles started in 91 with a, a professional team that is now a semi-professional team. Um, but the ministry itself has expanded a ton. There's now a women's semi-professional team as well, which did not exist. There's a youth club and academy program that stretches all the way from elite level high school athletes all the way down to the youngest kids in our rec leagues in our camps. Um, and these are all kids that are, all the coaches are sharing the gospel with all these kids all the time. Um, and I think maybe even, you know, some of our greatest workers are our urban ministry. Our urban Eagles are in, they're in three different neighborhoods here in Charlotte that are just living amongst people who need the gospel, who are in less fortunate communities are, you know, refugee families are, you know, people where you step into a community and you drop a soccer ball and all of a sudden it's the great equalizer. It's like you went from this weird stranger to all of a sudden like everybody can play. You don't need to speak the same language as somebody to like love having a soccer experience with them. And mm -hmm. um, so our urban squads are phenomenal. I mean, they're watching, there's kids that have been in, grown up in the urban program for like years and years that are, you know, without some sort of intervention um, are going down a path where it's like, there's just going to be these, these generational sort of hindrances that keep going. And it's like, no, you have people that stepped alongside you and now it's like 
you're in college and you're a leader and you're in the workforce and you're doing these incredible things. So something that a lot of them never expected or their parents never sure, anticipated. Sure. And that's, you but know, because of the urban ministry, with yeah. the Eagles that made it possible. Yeah. Every, every program has the same, the same three goals from what they're doing. We want to have incarnational outreach. So reach the lost, invite people in that don't know Jesus and, and teach them. And show them Jesus's love, like truly show them Jesus's love. Um, discipleship development. So, you know, we want to foster the knowledge and grow the people who are Christians in our programs. Um, and then leadership launching. So, can you empower those people? To then we like we don't expect that whoever's with us is going to be under the Eagles umbrella forever. Like, if you're actually from Charlotte, you probably aren't going to stay in Charlotte forever. Like we want those people to be able to go back and especially in our college programs, want those people to go back on their campuses and be different, like not just be different, but be opposite of what everything else is around them and what they see. So having all of our programs run in a little bit of a different space, but all have a unified mission. And those three things that we care about is a really special place where we want to affect change nationally and internationally with, you know, international tours as well. There's so many things that the Eagles do and will continue to grow into. It's like, I don't know, man, if there's a space that the Lord calls us into, we'll step into it and, and we'll do it. There, there's so much need for Jesus. And um, so we just want to step into that however we can. Um, the way people can be plugged in and help, there's, I mean, there's two, I guess three ways that people can get involved in some level. Um, two of them are along the same vein. There's always a need for more people. Like the work is plenty, but the harvest are few or the, mm-hmm. the yeah, harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Sorry. Um, anybody that, you know, wants to join the mission of the Eagles, like fundraising is a little weird, but it's not impossible. And I would encourage anybody that has in any space, it doesn't just have to be the Eagles. Anybody that has that sort of urge or feeling that you're supposed to be stepping into a more impactful space and you don't know all the answers of how that's going to work out and how you're going to make that happen, I'm like, just go for it. Step into it. Step into it and the Lord will make it work and he'll provide for that. Um, Another space is like volunteers, people that want to, coaches, whatever, with rec leagues, youth coaches in the urban neighborhoods with different events. I'm like, show up to things. Just show up to things. Show up to our office ask what what can be done um and the third is just it's a nonprofit it's a ministry so as i as i mentioned everything is everything is based on donors and giving and every every program is responsible for raising not only the funds for their staff so that their staff can get paid and do the work but for all the just every operational cost of what that actual program costs itself um you know like with usl2 it's if you leave all staff salaries out of the picture it's still like a 80 to ninety thousand dollar operation that you need to raise 80 to ninety thousand dollars every year to make work that's a lot it is a lot it is and it isn't correct it's like it is it is and it isn't it's it's a lot in the sense that like you know as far as year-round USL2 staff, it's like there's two people that are responsible for raising that number of money, like that amount of money, which doesn't include like personal support. Mm-hmm. Um, no, the Lord is good and the Lord has found, found a way to sustain the ministry since 91. And there's always, I mean, this year's no different. It's like as you start getting towards the end of the year, you're looking at numbers and you're like, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-oh, we're way, we're way off. Um, no, but the Lord is sustain this ministry and he's going to continue to sustain this ministry and the day that he doesn't is the day that the work is supposed to stop but we'll go out and we'll keep sending it the way that we're supposed to it's until until the lord clearly calls us out of it or makes it so it's not viable to do it anymore we won't do it anymore but the dream would be for us to you know have have enough funds come in so that our people can worry less about you know, consistently needing to fundraise. It's like the more time you need to spend on fundraising, the less time you can spend out in the field mm-hmm. or in the neighborhoods or doing Bible studies with guys or whatever, or on the phone with people checking in with them. So, um, but yeah, that's the, that's the space we're in, man. If you go to, uh, 
I mean, you just, if you Google search Charlotte Eagles and go to our website, um, you can, you can click on one of the tabs and see all of the people that are in our ministry right now doing the work. You can see, you know, you can click on them and read a little bit about their story. Um, these are, these are people just like, you know, just like you, just like anybody else. Mm -hmm. It's not like you don't have to be a a beautiful theologian and (laughs) have, you know, be able to recite, you know, Philippians, Philippians. <laughs> and, uh, that doesn't make you unqualified for ministry. I mean, we, we actively train our, our people up and we are constantly growing and our leadership is always pushing us to have more knowledge and to, to strive for excellence. And that's great. But like, if you're somebody that has a heart for it, it's like our staff are just people that have a heart for other people. And the Lord has called us into it and we said, okay, we're stepping into it. This is what we need to do. So yeah, man, volunteer, um, come work. Or if you've got, if you've got funds, your company has funds, you know, your end of your giving, whatever, if you're looking for places to give, mm-hmm. the Eagles are always in need. And anytime that there's an excess, we always look to expand, find a different space we can go. In. It's not like, believe me, nobody's taking like a big chunk home (laughs) chunk home i've got this extra i raised you know if you raise an excess of your salary you don't take you don't take more of your salary you put it right into your program and we put it into expansion Mm -hmm. can we get more staff can we grow can we influence all of charlotte and beyond so that's the ministry and the calling and as you said y'all step into faith with this ministry um so for anyone listening i challenge you to at least go and read about the charlotte eagles uh get plugged in Maybe you want to work there or at least volunteer. Um, and for anyone that feels called to donate or your company or organization, uh, it's a good cause, good ministry here in Charlotte. Uh, I went to Covenant Day and some of the teachers there, um, some of the lady teachers played for the ladies uh, semi-pro team. So, And some family friends have played for the Eagles over the years. So I've enjoyed growing up seeing the Eagles play definitely a good ministry um a good cause to get plugged into so um definitely worth checking out and reading about um before we close what advice would you give our listeners that's just something i ask every guest um, it could be advice that you know family member gave you a coach but something that you know you kind of just live by that maybe someone listening and take and use yeah i think that uh say given given all the life experience uh, i would say like even if your thoughts aren't refined and even if you're embarrassed about whatever sort of thing just make every like make everything about you known be willing to risk your heart to let your to let your sort of journey and story be out there like if i had shared my struggle with more people i wouldn't have had the struggle i would have or i would have had people that came alongside that made the struggle maybe less intensive you know it wasn't until like until i started really being able to share my burden with other people um, that I was, that I was shown like incredible life change and was shown the love of the Lord. Cause even if I had gotten a Messiah and not fully shared my story, it's like people would never come alongside me in the way that they did. So I would just say, if you have questions, ask, ask the questions, be bold enough to ask questions and be bold enough to, to speak up and, and share your story and the stuff that you're going through. It's like, You've got value. Your story has value. Your thoughts have value. Make them known to the world. Make them known to people. Get them out there. And if somebody can't get behind that, like move on to the next person. Doesn't matter. Move on to the next one. They're not supposed to be in your life. They won't be. Amen. Yeah. And no story is too small or too big. Everyone has a story. Everyone has struggles. Um, They're different from everybody else's and you're not alone. And that's the purpose of this podcast, this platform. Um, just for people to come on and share their story struggles so that listeners can resonate um, with stories and, or just hear a story and be like, wow, I'm not alone. You know, yeah. even a uh, Charlotte Eagles coach, uh, you know, involved in a ministry, you know, had struggles, but struggles uh, grow you and get you to where you're supposed to be and where you are. Um, as long as you take that growth and uh, that struggle and grow from it and not, uh, you know, uh, dwell on it. Um, as some of us do and I did, and that's why my journey was a roller coaster for 10 years. But, um, 
Yeah, Mike, thank you for coming on. It's been an honor and look forward to just growing a relationship with you, um, you know, and getting plugged in with the Eagles, something that, you know, I haven't been around in several years. So it's been an honor to hear your story and just get uh, reconnected with the Eagles. So thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you letting me come on. I hope that it was, you know, that for anybody listening, that's some level of encouragement and, um, you know, even randomly being brought to the barn and being introduced to you is, it's been a massive blessing. And so, yeah, man, it is, it's just people loving on people and it's, it's hopeful that there's more friendship for years to come. Yeah. And that's what it's about. Uh, and that's what the barn brothers, um, are about. So any guys listening Tuesday nights, um, we're at barn North still currently, which is at Chuck Tyndall's, um, church, which happens to be a furniture store. Um, behind the show Mars um, in Fort Mill. So come check it out. Um, 7 to 9.30-ish, show Mars prior, 6 to 7. Um, but again, go check out the Charlotte Eagles. Um, donate, volunteer, um, just get involved. But thank you all for tuning in this week to the Rabbit Hole Show. As always, we all have a story. We all have struggles. The good news is we are not alone. Um, share the podcast, uh, reach out with any questions, comments. Um, and right now I'm not working currently, so I got a lot of time and have been meeting people for coffee and uh, just hearing other people's stories and getting to know them. So reach out and let's connect. Um, the rabbit hole show 21 at gmail.com or uh, give us a follow on Instagram. Um, or shoot me a message on Facebook. Would love to connect. But thank you all for tuning in, and uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks.